0: Would you mind listening to me for a little while, only a moment? I just want to tell you that I have made a film for you, perhaps just for you. I wrote a screenplay about four women who met for a few days in dramatic circumstances. I asked four magnificent, wonderful actresses who are my friends to play the four parts. Harriet Andersson, Ingrid Thurlin, Cari Sylvan, and Liv Iman. I asked my friend Sven Nykvist to do the camera work as usual. I asked the rest of my colleagues to come once more to my aid. We found an old manor house in a silent park. For 40 days, we were making a film which we liked. It is called Whispers and Cries. If you ask me whether it is a good or a bad film, I don't know. All I know is that it is a film dear to my heart. That is why I asked you to see it. I want you to like it.
1: Hello.
2: Hi.
1: Welcome to Movie homples
2: Oh my god, what is that voice? <laughs> I'm a little
1: boy. I'm a little kid.
2: Okay. Well, if you're a little kid today, I'm a frog.
1: You're a frog. You (laughs) may have a flu, some kind of bug going around.
2: Something. I'll
1: probably get it in five days. Yeah, that's usually how that
2: works.
1: You're a woman in crisis because you're not feeling very well.
2: (laughs) I am a woman in crisis.
1: So it's appropriate that here in our first full week of February's theme of Women in Crisis... I guess it is appropriate. Uh, You're the crisis of sickness. I mean, maybe crisis is a strong (laughs) term.
2: It's a little strong.
1: But is it a strong term in the lives of the women that we discuss here? No. Last Monday, we talked about three women. Yeah. This movie, four women. What if every movie was just like one more woman more than the last one, right?
2: That could be a challenge. An interesting challenge.
1: They didn't make a 12 Angry Women. It's no, too bad. No, they sure did not. Wow. How about Woke Hollywood step up, remake 12 Angry Men into 12 Angry Women, and then Texas will probably secede if when you do that.
2: It's kind of a tall order to now find five women in a movie where those women are in crisis. You know, The Descent.
1: The one where they go in the big hole?
2: They're in crisis.
1: What kind of, wait a minute. They go in a big hole, the womb, Well, signifying a womb.
2: I have a lot of thoughts about that regarding this movie.
1: Mm. I'm trying to remember The Descent. I may need to rewatch that one.
2: It's like they go into a cave, but they haven't told anyone that they're there. Mm. There's some sci-fi element as well, Mm. potentially, to that movie.
1: There might be a little of, I wouldn't call it sci-fi, but, well, it's debatable. Look. In
2: this one, yeah. We're
1: talking about the movie Cries and Whispers from 1972, directed by the uh, infamous Swedish auteur, the very influential Ingmar Bergman.
2: I want to watch more Ingmar Bergman.
1: Well, so far, I know you and I, we haven't... He's made a lot of movie. Yeah. Movie. Um, a lot of movie. And uh, the ones that we have seen in the last few years... Just you and I are. The Seventh Seal, which is probably his most famous one. And, uh, Through a Glass Darkly. You remember that movie? About the girl there on the beach. She's slowly losing her mind and her brother's there. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: I liked that one. I don't remember The Seventh Seal. Seventh Seal, reason. The
1: Crusader Knight is playing chess against death.
2: Yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, then I'm an Ingmar Bergman fan.
1: Well, just based on those two. On um,
2: those three.
1: Um, and, and this one.
2: And this one. Yeah, this um, one is
1: written by Ingmar Bergman, starring Harriet Anderson, Kari Silwan, Ingrid Tholen, Liv Ullman, Inga Gill. I think with the Ingmar Bergman movies, and this movie in particular, probably the most open to specific interpretations, you know, yeah. there's a lot that is, uh, there's a lot of space left for different perspectives, especially those on life, death, gender, religion, sexuality sexuality oh well i see where you're going there i want to is it an issue of sexuality or just scandinavian people being scandinavian people we'll see we'll we'll, yeah. we'll parse through it
2: there's a couple different things that i question in this maybe regarding sexuality
1: but yes cries and whispers we're in it's a turn of the century i think it's like late 19th century so, what is, what's going on in this movie? Someone is dying, right? So, yes. we're off to a hilarious start.
2: Yeah. So, there's three sisters, and then there is a servant mm-hmm. in this house. This house is all red. And these women wear all white. Anna mm-hmm. is the servant girl. Yeah. And, Throughout the movie, I just want to talk about the house for a second. Throughout the movie you find you, you, you go mansion. through a story of each of these women. A
1: castle, maybe.
2: I think it's a mansion. This is a this is where these three girls grew up. Seemingly the sister who is dying Agnes Agnes has been living there her whole life. That's how it seems. And at some point Anna came in to care for her and the household. She seems to have also been sick for ever.
1: She has cancer. All the
2: memories. It
1: doesn't distinctly say it, but she has I wondered. Has can- it seemed like cancer. a lung
2: or stomach
1: yeah. situation. A, maybe a, like a uterine kind of thing, too, mm-hmm. I think.
2: I did consider that. I wasn't sure. I figured it was either a cancer or a lung disease or something because she does have issues breathing.
1: That part where she's just gasping like that. <gasps> Unsettling. what little we know from what we've seen of the Ingmar Bergman movies the the aspects of horror seem very subtle like it, it's there but it's very like small but kind it's of st- there the- still affecting in a way you um wouldn't expect because it's not like traditionally fearful which yeah. is the seventh seal is kind of like that too but like you yeah. get the vibe that there's a horror yeah. element to it
2: but definitely in this movie um and 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 I know I feel like the best way to go about this is to talk about each of the women. But as far as the house goes, they grew up in this house. And throughout this, you know, they go through each of these women's memories. But every single scene is in this house or in the yard. There's no other place. And the house is draped in red. It's very stark even the bedroom that Agnes is is dying in is very red until she's dead and then it's white it's you, interesting
1: you think he got Dario Argento to do the interior designs I was going here.
2: to exactly say to you that this movie gave me the same feeling as a Dario Argento film this movie is very like Suspiria
1: yeah, yeah. feel
2: to me because it is this sort of like there's these women and there's this relationship that you don't quite understand and there's like a heaviness on all of them that you don't fully have explained mm-hmm. and they all are dealing with it in their own distinct way
1: it just seems like when we do come across 70s european movies they're very bold colored Yes. Uh, that might be a coincidence, but maybe they were just all into that at the time.
2: Well, I think I think it's actually very heavy-handed. Because mm. I do believe that the imagery here is supposed to be a womb. Like, this house is the womb. Mm. They Their mother has passed before, but they do talk about her as well. And every time you see her, she's wearing white. And she's seeming very sad most of the time.
1: Agnes is kind of the left. The left out one in the childhood, the one that we later see die, mm-hmm. we get these brief narrations sometimes of the characters discussing their past and their perspective. So we get Agnes talking about how the mother doted on the other children and how she felt just kind of left out. The other portions of narration, which are a male voice that seem to just kind of appear, are from Ingmar Bergman himself.
2: Oh, wow. Like okay. he did
1: those himself. That's interesting. It's interesting. I'm not sure why it's... I mean, we get that the narration is from the characters at that point, but why is it Ingmar doing those... clipping those transitions together with uh, his narration?
2: Well, I think when it's in Agnes's voice, it's her journal entries. Mm. Because early on, we see her like... The opening scene of this movie is very intense and very long, and it's Agnes trying to sort of wake up. There's no words spoken for a little while in this movie. You're just sort of up close looking at the face of this woman who is so exhausted from being in so much pain for so very long. Her sickness has caused her to be completely just who she is in that moment because she's just trying to deal with what's happening. And then her sisters are both very... They have wall like big deal walls up, like big time not being themselves, either one of them. The youngest daughter, the redhead, seems to have a good relationship with the mother, but you do get the idea that it's all very surface, that she probably didn't know her mother well either. It was just she was the little one, and so the mother was maybe more jokey with her, but it wasn't like she really got to know the mom. I think Agnes... Felt left out, but I think they probably all did in their own way.
1: Agnes is the oldest sister, right? I would assume because she's the matriarch of this house. Despite being emotionally isolated as a youth, near the end they're talking about her estate and dividing it up. So she is the head of this household.
2: Well, it's interesting because they don't expressly explain that. And I, I did wonder about that because, you know, the other two sisters have gotten married. Agnes never did. Agnes has stayed at the house. And so, was the house left to Agnes because she was the one there, or was she the oldest? Because the the other two sisters, tell me their names. So there's Agnes and Anna, and then the sisters are.
1: Karen is the uh, the frigid one, and you got Maria. I believe it's Maria who's the the
2: Marie, opposite
1: yeah. of the fr- frigid.
2: <laughs> yeah, she's she's the the more like kind of flippant at times, passionate one. She Karen seems she the, loves, the oldest. She
1: loves to throw it around <laughs> there. She's got. She's been having an affair with the doctor that comes and sees Agnes and it's implied there but the doctor he may feel the passion sometimes but he doesn't we don't see him being so emotionally in it and she is married.
2: Yeah, and overall he you you can tell that he feels passion for her but he doesn't want to go back there.
1: It ain't love.
2: They had a relationship before she got married and then in one of her memories, we do see when they reconnected, and it's interesting because he's actually sort of mean to her. Mm. You know, um, she's very much coming on to him in this memory because we see her in the in the present try to get him to be with her.
1: Nowadays, we call uh, her, them "pick me" girls. We Pick. call we call them "pick me" girls nowadays.
2: I've never heard that.
1: It's, it's, uh, me, the kids, I know what the kids are saying, but yeah, uh, Maria. A little
2: too thirsty? Yeah,
1: Maria's a pick-me girl.
2: Yeah, she is, and.
1: She doesn't get along with other women. She uh -uh. says things like, uh, women don't like me, stuff like that.
2: (laughs) She is that girl.
1: I'm not like other girls. Yeah. I'm, I'm more friends with the guys.
2: The one time we know for sure that she slept with the doctor when she was married, they were at the house she was visiting, and. Obviously, he was there to see Agnes because he always, no, he was actually there to see Anna's little girl. Anna's little girl was very sick. And Marie's whole family was there and her husband had gone away. So she had made up the bed, the guest room for the doctor. And she comes in in her like bright red lacy negligee and they fuck. But then the next day, her husband comes home and attempts suicide.
1: Yeah, he stabs himself like, look like in the gut, maybe. <laughs>
0: I
2: knew something like that was about to happen, but I was waiting for like a pistol sound. Mm. Someone stabbing themselves has to be one of the most difficult ways. Yeah. And it almost makes you think, did he really want to die? Or was it just trying to get her attention? Because she comes in the room and he's looking at her and he's saying like, help me. And she just is like, no. And she closes the door on
1: him. Well, we get to the end when we, I mean, it doesn't matter what point, but no. we're at the end of the movie and they're dividing the, the estate post Agnes's death and he's alive. And, yeah. this, and so he, he survived.
2: He survived. And I think that's the other reason why the doctor in the, in the current time won't fuck around with her because he's basically like, no yeah yeah
1: everyone's it, the the block's too hot everyone knows and i'm not in love with you anyway so whatever right yeah so you kind of feel sorry for maria in that sense constantly wanting some kind of passionate validation from anyone who will give it to her including even her own sisters in which we have karen uh Karine. this whole movie is her openly Saying how she absolutely hates everyone in her life and her whole family.
2: I think that she is so fucked in the head. I think that she... I don't know what she would have wanted to do with her life, but she hates her life. There's a point where she's having dinner with her husband in one of her memories. Again, at the house they had come to visit. Anna's there. And what I understood from the way that she acted towards Anna, the way that she... Kept repeating, everything's lies, it's all lies. I just feel like she's so incredibly unhappy, but she feels so incredibly trapped.
1: Very resentful.
2: And her husband is an asshole. I mean, he just seems like an asshole. And he's very, you know, bossy. You can tell she has such contempt for him that when they were eating dinner, there was part of me that thought, like, he takes more fish and she doesn't. And for a second, I was like, is she poisoning him? Like, I wouldn't have put it past her to be like, I need to get out of this, so I'm going to kill my husband. Like, she seems like the kind who would, but instead, she spills her cup and it breaks, and she has this little piece of glass, and her husband goes away to get ready for bed.
1: She knows that it's going to be love time when he comes home. And to she bed. doesn't
2: want that. And this is one of the most interesting scenes I think I've ever Watched and I don't completely know how I feel about it because I feel great about it. Well, okay. Um, she, you know, she, she has Maria, uh, Anna helps Karen undress and she's still holding this like piece of glass and she has her, her nightgown on and she tells Anna to leave and she ends up, I'm assuming, I mean, what she seems to do is she sticks the piece of broken glass inside of her she's, vagina. She
1: stabs herself in the, uh,
2: She inserts it into her vagina. Yeah. And there's part of her that seems at once she's like sweaty and in pain, but she's also seems sort of euphoric. And she goes into the bedroom and she sits very gingerly on the bed and the husband comes over like, you know, like you said, it's going to be like sex time and she reaches down and she's covered in blood and she like wipes Wipes it on her her
1: face. face.
2: And I have a feeling that, They never had sex again. I think that she, I don't know what she wanted him to think. It's so, that's why it's so interesting to me.
1: I had an Aunt Mary like this. I don't think she ever stabbed herself in her kooka, but she was a miserable woman who allegedly rarely (laughs) if ever had sex with her husband. Mm -hmm. And her husband was maybe allegedly gay. Rest in peace, Aunt Mary. You were full of hate.
2: I never met Aunt Mary, but I've heard so many stories about her <laughs> that I kind of wish I had met her just to put, like, a face to the stories. Because she seems, I mean...
1: She probably would have hated you me. right to your face.
2: Totally. I'm sure she would have. Seemingly, since that time at least, maybe even before then, but I think she was doing that to keep her husband away from her indefinitely. Because later she has this moment with Marie where... Marie wants to touch her, like, comfort her physically, and Karen is like, I hate it when people touch me. Do not touch me. And that whole scene, they 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 eventually do. Like, Marie kind of forces her to embrace. Well,
1: Korean also tells her that she hates her, like, that she hates all of you.
2: But then she apologizes. And, And it's one of those things where it's like, it very much to me feels like, A, I'm going to hurt you before you can hurt me. I feel like that's why I think Karen is broken. I don't think that she has any kind of like, I don't think she's narcissistic. I think yeah, she hates herself. Right. I think she hates herself. Yeah. Um. And so because she hates herself, she projects that out on everyone else. But she's
1: just as cruel to the servant as, like, the husband is. Well,
2: but when she hits Anna, then immediately she is regretful. Like, she's lashing out because of how much pain mentally she is in. Mm. And, like, even Anna, when she hits her, she then is like, I'm so sorry, you know, help me get undressed. Like, and and she's nice to her after. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. We'll come back to Marie, or we'll come back to Karen, but, like, Marie's thing, we kind of have already talked about her memories, but she has a child. She's the only one that I believe they ever talk about having a child.
1: I'm trying to remember it. We watched this like three days ago. The child
2: is in the scene when her husband comes home the day after she's fucked the doctor.
1: Oh, okay. Um, Because
2: there is a point at the end where after Agnes has passed... Marie, you know, when she's trying to comfort Karen, she basically says to her, like, I want to know you. I don't know why we can't be friends. I don't have any friends and you're my sister and couldn't we stay up all night talking and all of this. And there's this very, um when Karen finally drops that veil, we don't hear anything they say to each other. But it's very... It's that whisper part. It's the very, like, it's fast coming, and they're very much, like, close to each other's faces, and it's very intimate. Yeah. Like, almost a little creepily intimate, but I think that that might go into culture stuff, like you were talking about. Like, they're kissing each other on the lips, but it's not, like, long passionate kisses, but it is, like, definitely mouth kisses. Like, I did not kiss my brother on the lips. And some friends do that, but I don't know. It just, it seemed a little almost too intimate. Yeah, it seemed a little sexual and it was confusing, but also it's one of those things where like if if Karen truly hasn't been touched in like years at this point from anyone, it's probably electrifying when she lets herself regardless of who it is or what kind Mm -hmm. of touch it is. So there's also that like it's very intense.
1: Yeah, maybe she just, she's so overwhelmed by the feeling.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Marie is kind of going with that. But then there's this point at the end where Marie all of a sudden is is her, like, flip it, flippant, like, back to her childish, yeah nothing matters attitude. And Karen's like, don't you remember that night? Like, don't you remember, like, you touched me. Like, we got to know each other. Like, we talked. And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. But, like, my husband needs me and my kid needs me. Yeah. So, I have to go.
1: They're counting the money at that point. It's (laughs) really weird. Yeah, it's
2: really weird. She was alone and she needed companionship, so that's why she drew it out of Karen. But once she didn't, she was done with her. And it's very, very sad.
1: So, Agnes, of course, as we said, is dying of cancer through three-fourths of this movie. And Anna is played by Carrie Silwan. Anna kind of looks like a Schrute. Like like she'd be in the Dwight Schrute family. I couldn't help it but see that. But you saw it too, right? I
2: didn't really I... until you said it. I mean, I definitely thought that she looked, she was very like kind of. um I guess
1: Rain Wilson is Ancestries from that part of the world. It seems kind of obvious.
2: I feel like she is someone who you would say comes from like strong stock. Like, so I get what you mean. Thick, you know, like thick she's bones. A, she's strong and she's serious and she's
1: devoted to agnes
2: so devoted to agnes we find out that back in back when her when the doctor came to visit her daughter her daughter actually passed away we don't know anything about who the father of the child was but she and her daughter had lived in this house seemingly for her whole daughter's life she'd been there for decades at this point or at least a decade taking care of agnes exclusively and they have this very intimate relationship, the women are taking turns watching Agnes while she sleeps because she's so sick. And when Anna takes up her turn, she's gonna sew or something, but Agnes is calls for her and is like, You're too far away, come come closer to me.
1: And she when she walks over to the bed, lets out the mommy milkers and then lays by her and has
2: And cradles her. And
1: has Agnes like rest her head on her bosom. And so Yeah, you could think, like, do they have some kind of, like, very intimate relationship here? And maybe they do. I think they do. But also, you could just be like, they're Scandinavian. They're just kind of doing their thing.
2: The clue to it, I think...
1: When you're Scandinavian, flopping out your mommy milkers is nothing.
2: No, for sure. Just because she was, like, lay against my... Chest, that doesn't mean that they were that they were intimate, but I think that they were. I'm not saying I
1: didn't chub.
2: The reason I think that it was a very sweet scene. I
0: mean,
2: and it was and they're, you know, they they are kissing, and Anna, you can tell, really I feel like you can tell that they love each other. And I think the key to knowing that they did have a relationship is that one of the sisters is reading from the journal, and it seems to be about Anna and talking about how agnes for the first time in her life has felt togetherness and love yeah and i think she's talking about anna and anna's obviously thinks that she's talking about her because anna's one of the ones who well they all have these it's all very small expressions right like no one is really telling you what they think like, the cries are exclusively from Agnes. Like, no one else is really, you know, expressing intense emotions. But And then at the end, Anna, they tell her she can have one thing from the house. And she says she doesn't want anything, but she takes the journal. Yeah. And I think that that's why. Like, the journal, I think, tells the story of them.
1: So, Agnes does pass away. And uh they kind of put her in, like, some bonnet, like some... Deceased clothing, or something they almost like a, like a wake, almost like a baby, like how you address a baby.
2: Did it seem odd to you that it was as though Karen and Anna, when they were like placing her and like her feet and her hands and the blanket when she very first died, didn't it seem like they had done it a million times? I was like, How do you know they were moving in unison, preparing her body? It just seemed. Odd to me.
1: Maybe they were. Maybe they had been rehearsing this in their mind That's over and over it and over. Felt like
2: they were so prepared for her to pass away that they just went into auto mode
1: yeah. to like
2: prepare her body. But then you're talking about the, some nuns come.
1: Yeah, yeah. We get a we get some religious ceremony. It seems very focused on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's an, a point in which you know after she dies, Anna walks into the room where Agnes is. And she sees that the body has been crying. And we don't see her mouth move, mm-hmm. but we hear Agnes. Or do we hear Agnes or do we just hear Anna claiming that Agnes wants to talk to her sister?
2: We hear Agnes's voice yeah. and we also see her hand.
1: I think this is mostly interpreted like a dream sequence. Yes. So the post-mortem Agnes is requesting the sister's presence and Anna is helping to facilitate that and Karen comes in and she has her moment but it freaks him out and Marie can't handle it they come in and they they confront her I think the interpret the most common interpretation is that this is a dream. They're conscious. They're facing the the mortal the loss of their sister through their conscious. But I just kind of have more fun in my head. Assume the scene is literally like she came back from the dead.
2: Yeah, like
1: she is momentarily a zombie. I mean,
2: no, I know it's
1: probably not like that, but like it just feels. It kind of sends a bit more of a chill up your spine to kind of just think about it like that.
2: Well, and she says to Ag, I mean, Agnes says to Anna, I'm having trouble leaving you all. I'm in so much pain, but I can't leave you. That's why I feel like there is a, Otherworldliness worldliness to this movie because they do also say the priest who comes says that agnes is more religious than he ever was mm. which is so interesting to me and then you think about this like her kind of like coming back for a moment and when karen and marie are so scared off anna's like fine just go i will take care of her And then the next thing you see is Anna again has her top off and she is cradling Agnes. And it feels very much like that mother baby Jesus. Yes.
1: Uh, It's uh, a Madonna scene. Absolutely, yeah.
2: And it's it's beautiful, but it's like heartbreaking. And also, like you said, there's a little bit of horror.
1: Then cuts to them post a funeral. They did uh, lay her to rest. And the family is, and you were talking about how the interchange between Anna and how she doesn't want anything and they're, everyone's coming off a little cold. Karen seems a little softer than before, like you were staying, but Marie is, they're counting the money. So she's getting more of what she wants. If she's getting what she wants, then fuck anything else. Right. But then we get these images, these, the, the, this flashbacks of, you know, I think it's also coming from Anna's, uh, journal or Agnes's journal. Yeah.
2: Anna's, Anna, when they all leave, picks up Agnes's journal. And
1: you're seeing all four women just kind of walking through the day and Agnes talking about, you know, she, she loved to be with her sisters and loved to be with all of these women. And you see an image of all the sisters dressed in white just strolling through the day and Anna is there and everyone does genuinely look happy even if you know by now that under the surface at least a couple of them are not. But it does seem like that Agnes was very grateful at least by the end of her life for the family Mm -hmm. despite her resentments at, at her youth. She did cherish that. The movie focuses on how they're all fucked up and really the best of them died yeah, right yeah. the one that was most grateful despite their troubles and i was the one that died a, a whole, an agonizing death
2: yes and i think she was the only thing holding them together mm mm-hmm. because they're already talking about they're going to sell the house they've let anna go they're basically you can stay here for a couple months while you find something else and marie does get her husband to give anna a little extra money Karen doesn't want to do that. Or Karen's husband doesn't want yeah. to give her any money. Uh, They give her a little extra money. And so, but none of it is like, they don't think of Anna as part of the family. She is a servant. And I think Agnes thought of her as part of the family. And then the scene between Karen and Marie at the end, you just get the idea that when they all leave the house this time,
1: they, may never they are see never going to see again. each other
2: again. And they do talk about, "We'll see each other on twelfth night." I don't think that's going to happen. Like they talked about, like t- I don't know what twelfth night, however often that is, but they would have like these parties when they were young on twelfth night. And Marie's like, "Oh, we'll see each other," but I don't think they will. Like, I promise. Marie's very vapid towards the end. That's pretty much it. But I just, I feel like this movie, like when we were watching it, I was just thinking about, it's so not the same, but it does give me tones of three women because it's it's like these, they're not empty. These women are almost like too full. Like they they have, they're so broken. They're like broken women in a broken house. And they talk about how their mother was depressed all the time too. Like she had this longing that she could never but suffice. Everyone
1: is a little changed almost have swapped their demeanors marie becomes karen becomes a little more open towards marie but marie is exhibiting the coldness that we saw karen exhibit earlier so yeah i can see where you you get that interesting movie for mm-hmm. sure you're gonna give this one through five i'm gonna give this one through five combined for best out of 10 what are what are you scoring for uh ingmar bergman's very interesting cries and whispers, which is on the, as of this recording is on the max app. There is actually a lot of Ingmar Bergman on max right now. If you uh, want to go see and watch any of that, I believe, uh, seventh seal and last I checked through a glass darkly is on there plus a little more.
2: I'm going to give it a 4.5.
1: I think it's a, a solid four. We've been hitting the 8.5s here in our sessions pretty well that that one's getting filled out um cries and whispers by ingmar bergman from 72 shares the ranking with akira the tim burton batman very similar <laughs> devil in a blue dress what's eating gilbert grape wild at heart the good the bad and the ugly it's at least as good as those films check the show notes for links in other places to find us like subscribe leave a comment what do you think about uh, Cries and Whispers? What's your favorite Ingmar Bergman movie? Mm. We'd love to hear some recommendations. Maybe we'll throw it on the pile for down the road. We're pretty scheduled out. But, you know, sometimes we do watch movies and don't talk about them here. It does. That is true. It does happen sometimes. So, but just let us know. We're pretty damn booked up right now. <laughs> I've, I've definitely overbooked our, our movie calendar. It's But, you know, we love to watch movies. So, it ain't no thing. But for uh, Women in Crisis, our special sign-off.
2: Watch your back, girl.
1: From your undead sister.